Ladies and gentlemen, we have a treat for you today. Mike Bayer is here. He is a New York Times bestselling author. He is a personal development coach. We live inside of similar spaces, attempting to affect impact by serving people as well as we possibly can. He has a mission to help people achieve sound mental health in order to become their best selves. Uh, He spent the better part of his earlier years as a drug and alcohol counselor and is a board-registered interventionist. In 2005, Mike founded CAST Centers, a leading dual diagnosis treatment center located in Los Angeles, California, and he has worked in the field in a variety of capacities, including team building with corporations, keynote speaking for numerous events, Fortune 100 companies, as well as providing creative workshops. He is a good man bringing his light to this world Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mike Bear to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. Hello, Mike. We're rising together today. Yes, we are. All right, that was my attempt at an introduction of you. Uh, I'm sure that you, in your own words, could help the people who may not yet be familiar with your work understand a little bit more of who you are, what you do, and why you do it in your own words. Sure. Well, probably similar to you once I found out that you can help people's lights turn on and that in a moment, for me, it started to become really attractive, like how I could help people. And like you mentioned, my background was dealing with psychiatric and addictive disorders for years, doing crisis work. And then like, I've all, you know, we always evolve. We always evolve into different parts of our career, whether we're writing or speaking. I did not intend on ever doing anything publicly. I, I spent many years um, working with entertainers. As you mentioned, I've owned a treatment center for over 15 years. And then I threw this charity event and I met Dr. Phil spoke at the charity event. I had never watched a full episode of Dr. Phil. and. I also didn't realize he was huge. Like, I knew he was huge, but, like, I didn't know it was, like, the number one daytime television show. And, like, two and a half years ago, I was introducing him and the Jonas Brothers manager, and I thought they were going to do business together. And the whole meeting flipped on me, and he asked me to go on an episode three days later, and they're like, you're Coach Mike. And so... Like, I've done so many things in mental health in the past 18 plus years. I mean, like all of us, we come in as a hot mess, and then we reinvent, and then we think we got it figured out, then we become a mess again, then we reinvent. You know, that's just like, that's the coolest thing about being in this space is you get an opportunity to just evolve, so. Yeah, it's so interesting because I'm just now turning in my next book. And the whole idea of it is this idea of leaving a harbor of safety, of comfort, of status quo, though it's unfulfilling, the suffering that we continue to choose because of the fear of what might exist, were we to leave that safe harbor and push ourselves into new places. And one of the things 
I recognize in my own pursuit of discomfort has been this transition from having always been someone that was behind the scenes working on either building a company or leading teams inside of a big company to someone who is attempting every day to become a little more comfortable embracing the mandate to release the gifts that exist inside of me as someone who's more in front of the camera and it, or, or, or writing words inside of books. And so there's some similarities in that because I think to anyone, when you hear the whisper of your intuition or the prodding of, is there more in this life? How might I bring this best version of myself to bear? The release of those gifts, especially in service of others through impact, has been something that's fundamentally changed what was a good life into something that feels so much more rich and meaningful. Talk a little bit about just meaning in general and how we as humans, when we do have that call and heed it, are able to actually connect to it in a completely different way. You mean in the in terms of like our purpose in life and stuff? Yeah. I was curious though, like what was the biggest challenge for you with entering into being from behind the scenes into, you know, your own podcast, writing yeah. your own books? Well, I mean, one of the primary roles I played at the Walt Disney Company after having had this 25-year career in entertainment was managing the optics as the liaison to press, right? So I got really, really good at storytelling. If a movie did well, it was easy. I could storytell that. But when a movie didn't do well, part of my job was to convince the people I was working with on the press side that it did exactly what we were thinking. Everything was fine. Trust me, it's great. And there were components of this skill that I had in my work that was also happening in my life in that mm. when I would struggle and as I had hard times in the hyper curated world of Facebook and Instagram, I was perpetuating this, it's great, it's fine, trust me, I've got it all together when, of course, I am as human as everyone else who's listening and my struggle being misrepresented as it not existing was keeping me super disconnected from the truth of my experience. And when I decide then, all right, I'm going to step into this space, you can't do it without vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It worked against muscle memory that had always existed in convincing people, whether it was in my professional life or my personal life, that things were great. And so in the first book I wrote, it, I mean, it's the most vulnerable 20 lies that I believed and each of those lies in some ways had shame wrapped in them. And so the willingness to leave what I knew, a safe harbor of pretending like things were great for what I needed, the freedom in connecting honestly with the humanity that I possess and the struggle that I go through was liberating and terrifying. Yeah. Because it's almost like now it's you. It's not that thing that goes away in three months or that like goes on to the next movie. It's now like you kind of saying this is who I am and this is what's going on and allowing yourself space to make mistakes and not be perfect and to share that. I think that's a, it's a beautiful thing, you know? Uh, it is. Well, I mean, part of it too, I will say, and this comes through a lot of work in therapy, my, my greatest fear on earth is that I will reveal myself fully and completely and be rejected or unlovable because of someone now seeing the intricacies of my honest, true self. And so I think as humans, we just have this tendency to try and protect or manicure the optics of how we'd hope other people might receive us to prevent the possibility of rejection or keep someone from affirming some insecure voice we have 
that we're not enough worthy or lovable. And yeah. we do so at the expense of intimacy. We do so at the expense of feeling proud of and connected to our true selves. And yeah. what's, what's been, I think, maybe the most beautiful thing in the last two years as I've stepped into this, hey, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it as me is most of the things that I had insecurity or worry about never actually ever existed. And if anything, the willingness to be honest and reflect my true self has endeared me to having created an empathy bridge between anyone who's consuming anything I create and the struggle that they're processing in a way that normalizes it, gives permission for it, makes it feel a little bit like, hey, we're all in this journey of life and humanity together. And Struggle is just part and parcel of what it means to try and live into something that it's meaningful. Yeah, yeah. Like in the the last book uh, that I wrote, One Decision, I shared, which I hadn't shared, my friends know and everything, but like I talk about what are the top three critical decisions you've made in your life. And part of why I do that is so people build confidence to realize they're capable of making decisions today because those decisions were so much more difficult than what we're facing today and how resilient we are and one of the things I shared was you know coming out being gay and I for whatever reason I like would not talk about it like I would go on podcasts or shows I just didn't want to talk I like because I always want someone to see me as like that's a comma in my name it's not like a whole freaking like Pat, you like big gay Mike, you know, big gay <laughs> coach Mike. Like, and then also I look across, like, you know, kind of the self help space. And it's like, you know, when you kind of look around, it's like, okay, there isn't a lot of that uh, for men, I would say. And if there is, they seem to go kind of extreme into like, it's very like talking about sex or like sexual liberation or whatever. And I'm like, whatever. But that's the thing is like, I, I find that the more, honest we are just in general the better we feel the better are the people who read our stuff when we're being of service they can relate to us and in that process some people will be like yeah i can't relate and that's all good you know there's so many people that can connect with them so yeah no that that message just wasn't meant for them you know one one of the lines i just threw in my book like we as creators have the worry of how people may respond negatively to the creation so much that yeah. even if we were to make something for a hundred people and 10 people just hated it, went on a rampage to make sure other people were pushed away from consuming it rather than like staying focused on the 90 people that are really, really the intended recipients and getting great value from it. We stop creating. We, we slow down because of the 10 instead of, staying focused on the 90. I think it's a condition, again, of just the natural part of our humanity that worries about what other people are thinking. Yeah. People are not the people that we're trying to serve. And and in any way, we're not free ice cream. You can't make everybody happy. No. And and the crazy thing is, I talked to my my friend, Richie Jackson. He's a good friend. He does Lady Gaga's creative direction and all that. And he's funny. We talk about this idea that today with social media, people get access to you that you would never have allowed to be at your barbecue, like ever. <laughs> like you wouldn't, even, you wouldn't even want him to live in the same city as you. And we both, he'll make his profile like private. He'll be like, no, it's a privilege to get into my Twitter account, right? But I just block people. It's like, I call it spiritual whack-a-mole. I'm like, get off my page, you know, like, and those people will never subscribe and they don't buy. But focusing on the people like you said that do, 
and allowing those people to see you fully is such a beautiful thing. And like, I, I'm with you. One, one of the things in one decision that I just, my, I can't even get my brain to wrap around this idea is that we make 35,000 decisions every single day, which is bonkers because it doesn't even seem like it's possible in a, you know, whatever, you're up 18 hours a day, whatever, whatever you're yeah. up, that you could possibly get through that many. How do any of us, especially when things feel as crazy, so many headwinds, normal's gone, not get overwhelmed? and focus yeah. on what actually serves us most and best when we are faced with as many decisions as we have to actually make each day. What I like to focus on, or I did in one decision, I'm kind of like, I've noticed a lot of what I write about is about like, who are you, like at your core, like in my best self is a wizard named Merlin, like I have wizards all over my house, I have wizards on my arm, like I've, I'm a very fantastical, like how I like to create characters and like tap into your wizardry and whatever, someone else could be a helicopter. But the thing is, our brains are cognitive and, and cognitive behavioral therapy, there's something called cognitive distortions. And it's the lens at which we look through life. So even the one decision box I sent you a pair of glasses, and I, you know, to some of the people, it's just a metaphor. It's like how really we have the opportunity to look at something different. Now, there's this whole thing about like, look at life through rose colored glasses. And it's like, sure, that's great. But some people their stuff's going to be black no matter what. Like you, you try, you can't turn black to roses. Like that's a hard transition, right? Like you got to bleach the shit, you know, you got to pop some pink in it, whatever. <laughs> so I um, wanted to help people. And what I found is there's five ways of thinking that gets in the way of people making decisions what's in what's best for them. And it's, I, I love an acronym and it's called force. And there's five things that people do. They either fortune tell, they either overgeneralize, right fight, have confused purpose, or have emotional reasoning. They either think feelings are facts, they either get, I'm right, and that it has to be this way, and it's a detail in their life that's so irrelevant. You know, as authors, we know we could do that with our own books. We think, no, this is important, and then by nighttime, you're like, oh, it's kind of lame. And then on the other side are kind of like the quick hacks. So it's like fact-finding and objective thinking and relaxed vibes and clarified purpose and evidence-based reasoning. And so usually what happens is we're in this loop. We're in a cognitive loop. And there's certain things in our life today. We don't want to hear the loop because the loop sucks. It's like this thing that we keep telling ourselves and we're like, no, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, but it's there. And so what I like to do is dig into that and help someone get like a quick hack. So in terms of all the decisions, the most important decision is for someone to be themselves. Well, a lot of people will go, well, who the hell am I in this new context? Or when you're evolving or growing in anything, you don't know who you are in it because you've never done yep. it. So like, to me, it's, it's figuring out what I love in assessments. So it's figuring out what's that one area of my life that's not quite how I want it to be. And then I like to apply different exercises to help shake out and clarify for someone really what it is. Because from my years of working with people, what I find is people will come to me with one problem, but it's not actually the problem. It's like they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm coming to you because I'm, you know, let's say marriage issues. But really, sometimes when we dig in, it's about someone being feeling loved or feeling like they're an individual. Like it, it, it's not about the marriage. It's about that person and how they're functioning. And so I'm on a long riff about this, but you know, I just, I find that there's, 
it all starts with like how we think about it. Yeah. You know, how are we thinking about the problem? Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I, I mean, I, I love best self. I want to talk about best self, but it, it brings to mind because I've been trying in my own experience in real time to define like, when do I feel best about myself? Because I think it plays into the kind of decisions that I end up making in a day. And so the question that I keep coming back to is how do I feel about myself when I'm by myself? Mm. And the answer at the end of a day when I have created integrity between who I'd hope to be in that day to become who I hope to become, I feel great. Mm. And in the days when I have not been who I'd hope to be in that day in a way that keeps me from becoming who I'd hope to become, I don't feel great. So Mm. if I've created integrity in the day, I feel great. If there's dissonance in the day in that space where the dissonance exists, that's where I feel shame or regret. My confidence gets compromised. I start second guessing who I am. Mm. And so the decisions that I end up making in the day, a lot of times end up coming back to the answer of this question, how do I want to feel about myself when I'm by myself? Mm. You have written, obviously, an entire book before one decision about best self, which is just extraordinary. Oh, but thanks. How do, how do you think about the, like, just the idea of what it means to be your best self? So like I said, I, I worked in entertainment, like similar to you. So I was yep. on set with some of the same companies you worked with when there were crises and worked with a lot of talent traveling the world from Africa to Malaysia. And so, and I, my art mixes like creativity with self-help. That's like my style. So, you know, I always say our parents give us names and then they kind of hard, you know, we get hardwired through experiences, uh, who we are. Like I grew I'm tall, I'm six foot five. I ended up playing basketball because my dad and brother played basketball and hindsight. I'm like, I didn't really like basketball that much. I was good at it, but you know, we kind of just do what we grow up around. Not, good or bad. It's just whatever. But I find that when we want to define our best self, we want to think about what makes us uniquely ourselves. Like what makes our light turn on? What are the characteristics? Like what are the moments in which we feel it? So like, I know probably for you, it's, you know, when I see you post with your kids and Mm -hmm. when you're running and when you are completely free and vulnerable and, you know, it's, there's a list of characteristics and then it's about, okay, now I want you to draw it or create a character. And the great thing is everyone's different, you know? And that's what I love is no one creates the same character. And even if they maybe have the same name, they look so different. Then what I do is I help someone like name it and create it. Like mine's a wizard named Merlin. That's why I have wizards all over whatever I do. And I remind myself and it's a ritual, it's a mantra. Like, so literally before I go speak or help people, I'll drop to my knees in the bathroom because that's like when I got sober, that's what you did. And then I'll pop up in the mirror and I'll be like, be yourself or like bring the wizard out and bring the magic. And You're effing magical, dude. Like that's for me, what I do for other people is figuring out what ritual brings out their best self. And then what I do is I like to help people create their anti-self, that part of them that gets in the way. Because I find if you can add a little bit of humor to that part of ourselves, that we're like ashamed of or sucks or we're like, like mine's a male witch who's all isolated complaining <laughs> at the world, right? But that's kind of like, I, I find like creating some fun exercises is my way of like creating your best self, you know? Oh, I dig it. It's, I, and I relate to it because my best self is named Clark, as in Clark Kent, as yes. in I'm wearing the glasses and at any time 
I pull them off and I can become Superman. And it's a reminder of this ability that I have to- You kind of look like him. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm becoming more and more uh, like Clark Kent every day. But I I named it that in part because I want to remind myself that at any time that I am interested in becoming this best version of myself, I can. Right. But I also, in the same way, though I don't have a character, I've identified the kryptonite that exists in my life that actually would keep me from being the most extraordinary super version of who I'd hope to be. And so when I talk honestly about, hey, I have had struggle in my life using alcohol as a coping mechanism, I know that that's a thing that acts as kryptonite for me becoming this best version of who I'd hope to be. I put on shoes. When you see me running, my running is the substitute in a habit loop that previously would have allowed having a few drinks after a long day to take edges off be a thing that doesn't happen because the edges I've come to appreciate are the way that I'm going to become who I hope to be. And when I run, I get to process those edges in a way that doesn't dilute them or mute them or suppress them. It allows me to stay present with them in this bizarre combo platter of church and therapy that happens when I'm, you know, eight miles into a run. But yeah. I love that idea, the idea of the, the best self and the anti-self as well. One of the things in best self that I love too were the five tenets of change, because I think, mm. you know, for any of us, as we have this ambition to become a better version of ourselves, it comes with the appreciation that we have to just completely agree with and uh, embrace this idea of perpetual change in an evolution of becoming that will never, ever end. Right. And I know those tenants to me, like they, they struck a chord with me, honesty, curiosity, openness, willingness, and focus. Will you just t- tips of the trees, give a little bit of why yeah, you believe. I, I, like I said, I love an acronym and it sounds like a Chinese restaurant. It's called Chow F. It's like, we're going to go over there and we're going to get some self-help in that restaurant. So until we're curious, I'm, listen, I thank God I'm a curious person. So like one day when we hang out, I'll probably ask you in person, I'll ask you a bunch of questions. I just, I'm genuinely curious and about people like, and that's, you have to get a little curious to get interested in, oh, wow, there's, there could be a different way, or let me figure that out. Or maybe there's a different way to parent, or maybe there's a different way to write, you know, and we, as kids, we're curious, like, when we're younger, we're so curious, you know, and you have kids, you know, they're just so curious about life, right? And then as we get older, we can get a little more settled into that. So I always say, like, start to get curious. By the way, just not to interrupt, but like, when people ask me the question of like, how do I find my calling? Or how do I connect to my purpose? The first thing every single time, is curiosity. Be curious. Yeah. And, and, and like, sit in that curiosity and allow a bunch of different things that you've dipped your toe in to see what it is that actually starts to ignite something inside of you. But if you aren't curious, you will never find a path to purpose. You'll never find Mm -hmm. a path to something that feels like the unlocking of calling or meaning at at a deeper level. Yeah, you're right. I love that. And, and honesty is next. It's honesty with yourself. Um, Because if we can't get honest, it, ends up running the risk of being really inauthentic. And then we, you know, we have one leg in honesty, the other in inauthentic. And I can't do the effing splits. So, you know, it's like really uncomfortable. That's where anxiety lives and fear because we can't be totally honest and it sucks. And we're so afraid. And then, so it's just really getting honest. And then uh, open is just, there could be another way. Like I find people today with COVID, 
going, I can't do this because, well, what if there's another way? There's not. Have you explored it? No. Let's be open. Like, what's behind door two? You know, shake it up. And then, you know, willing. I I mean, part of the deal with getting, I'm an ex-meth addict, right? I was a garbage can for drugs, but I've been sober over 18 years. (laughs) One of the things that I learned is if you want to change, and that's the thing, like I've seen people change, you know, who literally were like Helen Keller. I don't know if you remember the movie. They're like, you know, just biting people. And then all of a sudden, you know, she'd be, I've worked with people that's, you know, that's the great thing is people do change. You have to become willing. You know, if, if you're willing to go to any lengths, change happens. It's like, I'm willing to go to any length and you pick yourself back up. And the last F, and I sometimes struggle with this, is staying focused, you know, focused on the goal. I can live in the abstract a little too often sometimes, but when we get really focused on the goal, and I know you probably experience this as an author where you're like writing the book and then all of a sudden you go off on a tangent and then the book is starting to become something else, you know? It's just staying focused on what you're doing, you know? So that's yeah. kind of like the five tenets. Now I dig it. it what, what's interesting, openness in a, in a strange way for me has been a real thing in the last nine months in the midst of this life transition for me, getting divorced, mm. single dad for the first time, figuring out what my career looks like after it's not what I thought it might be. Yep, I'm gonna still write and try and pour as much light as I possibly can with the gifts that I have, but... Openness for me has been questioning the source of my beliefs Mm. in a way that the comfort of what I knew and the consistency of what it had been existing didn't have me being as inquisitive as to why I believed the things that I did. I'm talking like social construct type stuff, Mm. like the beliefs of my family of origin as things that I just picked up as capital T truths kind of stuff. Right. And when you have the, you know, whether it's the world changing in real time because of a pandemic that nobody plans or a big life change, like going through having been married to not being married, it's forced this question of like, okay, if what I thought mattered doesn't, how do I find meaning out of what inevitably does? And for me, I had to go back to the source of why I believe the things that I believe and the openness to challenge the things that I, you know, and sometimes it was dogma that I was just Mm -hmm. accepting without actually really questioning if it was aligned with my values, had relevance in my life, was necessarily the thing that I believed. I just accepted it as what, you know, I was supposed to believe to be a good man, to be a good son, to be a good Christian, to be a good dad, all these things. And as much as there are parts of any of the things that I believe that I still think can hold true in 2021 and beyond, the reframe and reset that was afforded in the craziest year of my life in 2020 has been unbelievably fantastic in large part because of the openness to just go in and ask the questions of why I believe what I do. Yeah. You bring up a great point. And, you know, sometimes the, with a divorce, people can just view the thing as like horrible event past, you know, when really over 50% of the people in the U S get a divorce it's incredibly helpful to other people because they experience it or they learn from it. Going through the pain of it helps other people. Like it, there's so much opportunity where there's a need, especially for men, you know, to, because I, I've worked with a lot of men and a lot of men don't talk about any of that, you know? And, and so I think like the bummer is when stuff's public. Cause you're just like, get out of the, 
like your last book. <laughs> just get out of your, just everyone get out of the way. This is like my deal. But like, I do think it's a, it's a beautiful thing when, you know, you just step up and just talk about that helps a lot of people. Now it's been, it's one of these things. Uh, I remember in 2016, we went through this very hard piece of our adoption journey that I do not want to relive at all. We had twins that we thought we were adopting, Mm. named them after taking them from the hospital. They ended up two months in not being adoptable. They had to leave. It was the worst. And yet the experience of having to go through one of those hardest things of a lifetime produced unbelievable goodness. And I, 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 in, in a weird way, found myself grateful for the experience of 2016 as a reminder of the tenacity and the perseverance and the ability to get back up after things have gone in a way that you wouldn't have hoped for. And in 2020, it's, I think for a lot of us, nobody is going to want to relive the experience of these last 12 months necessarily. But I hope that instead of bemoaning how hard it is or standing in a posture of pessimism because of the conditions that you may in fact find yourself in now, that you can see some kind of silver lining for what the experience of this experience is affording us Mm. so that you can, from a posture of some kind of hopefulness, cast a hopeful vision for where we're headed or, or, or you're in trouble. I mean, like it would be wasted to have gone through the hard things that everyone who's listening had to go through. If there wasn't something good that can be taken from it. I I don't want to relive it, but I, I can find a way to be grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's grow or go, you know, <laughs> it is definitely grow and, and or go. It's like you either got to grow or you're going to, you're going to be like, you know, some weeds are going to pop up around you and you're just like, get these things off of me. You know, you're just kind of like pulling that stuff. So. Yeah. When, uh, when I was reading best self, there was another idea that I actually, I really connected to. I want you to explain for listeners mm. the difference between enabling and empowering when mm. it comes to creating your best self. Well, you mean in terms of enabling others or, or kind of yourself or? I'm thinking of it more in terms of yourself. I mean, I, it's, I think it's interesting too, because there is, if you're in relationship, this tendency that we have to walk that fine line between enabling and empowering. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think too, in our own personal pursuits of becoming right. our best self, we can be the worst negotiators of talking ourselves out of promises we've made to who we'd hope to be in a way that can be enabling when it actually is self-defeating and self-fulfilling yeah. and us finding ourselves in that chasm where there's dissonance between who we'd hope to be and how we've actually showed up. Yeah, I, that's a great point and question. And I think it's defining, well, it's, not, it's sorting out what charges up our battery. What turns on our light when there's thousands of things going on every day. What are we doing? I always think that when someone's in, for example, emotional pain of some sort, I'm like, I always ask them, what are you creating? And they're always saying nothing. And I said, well, effing create. Because if you create in pain, that's why there's so many beautiful songs that exist out there. It's not like they were like writing, like when Sia has a song, she's a friend of mine, she wrote a song called Breathe Me, right? And the lyrics go, help, I've done it again. And it's just a sad song. Now, I don't think she was going, you know, she wasn't writing that song on a roller coaster. So I think one is if you're in a state of mind, it's not, it's okay to feel down and sad or like depressed. You can create, and it doesn't mean you're creating something for your career. You're creating something just to create. 
whatever it is, and there's no right or wrong. So I always think that's a helpful way to kind of start to lift up the uh, doubt or downer. And everyone has their own authentic way of creating. Sometimes people go immediately to art, but that's like, there's infinite ways to create. Grab some tree, some leaves and twigs, and, you know, pretend that you're doing some magical thing in the back. You could do whatever you want. You could go talk to the squirrel and create a new skit in the backyard, right? Like something. But I think it's figuring out what is that thing that you can start to do. Like, you know, I meditate to techno music and alternative music. Uh, I know there's a whole space of people that love to meditate to breathe in and breathe out. And it, I can get down with it. But for me, that charges me up, right? Before I came down, I was listening to this DJ Lane 8. I wasn't listening to some like UCLA psychotherapist telling me how to <laughs> breathe deeper breaths. So in terms of charging up and empowering ourselves, it's just starting to introduce stuff that we actually dig and try out. Does that? Totally. No, no, I dig it. it, it what's weird is I have opened myself up to so many things that I previously either had some kind of taboo wrapped in, like meditating, mm. or thought was hooey, like journaling. Right. And like, right, like sitting down with a blank piece of paper, and just for, I mean, for me, what's been interesting, it's not the first 20 minutes of journaling. It's the 20 minutes after the 20 minutes mm. where uh, the subconscious thoughts start coming in. And I'm like, what is that? Mm. What has been living inside of my subconscious that now that it's been brought to light, I can actually dive into. But that as a, as a form of creation has been wildly therapeutic where I am at the same time patient and therapist in just letting a pen do whatever it's going to do for a 45 minute yeah. period of time. But uh, I've never meditated to techno music. I might now because I didn't even know it existed, but, but I dig the idea of like creating creation. I certainly, I can attest, uh, this will sound conceited, but I have written a book that is wildly better than my last book because of all of the emotion and pain that I was processing in the midst of the writing because there was catharsis in and not that, oh, I'm not talking about the divorce at length. I'm just tapping into a depth of emotion and the way that I was trying to work on my mental, physical, spiritual health in the midst of, uh, you know, a big life change. And it, the, the proof ends up being on the page, which is fantastic. You don't have to write a book, but channeling that creative energy into something i i'm so here for it because yeah. there is i think a, um, there's a release but there's also interestingly just a little bit of pride that shows up for being able to be witness to your ability to create inside of a circumstance that uh, may feel hard yeah and in that like uh with one decision the last book i my vision was writing to that person who's all alone or feels lonely or feels like no one cares, you know, like I'll kind of, I'll think about like, who am I trying to talk to? And what the, that makes me think of when you talk about writing in a place of get, getting through pain, it, what it does is it also allows the person who receives it to, to know, they know that we all know that feeling, you yeah. know, and it, and it, it's the beautiful way of connecting. And for someone like myself who reads your book to, to feel like they're, going, oh, no, I get that. I'm, I'm with you, you know, and you can't make that stuff up. No, I mean, the crazy thing is, as much as I originally had the conceit of wanting to talk about leave the safe harbor, charge into the choppy waters, I ended up writing more or less a guide to go from being timid to being courageous because mm. I found myself personally 
having to go from being timid to courageous inside of a completely new upside down space. And I think, I hope that the candor with which I represent the fear and the insecurity and the worry and the, all of the things because of what ends up being universally a thing that we as a humanity are processing in real time with fear and the desire to be courageous doesn't make the fear go away. Mm -hmm. Just allows you to walk through the fear toward the fear in a way that helps you grow. Um, Anyway, I think that, you know, have you had, let me ask you, like, as, as you become more in more, you know, growing professionally, do you find, and it seems like you're extremely connected in the personal development space. Like you're like, beyond connected, like everyone knows you. <laughs> like, do you compare yourself much or were you, or were like, how do you, how have you navigated kind of staying true to who you are without allowing, cause I, I'm newer yeah. in this, I'm newer in this space, right? So, uh, so yeah, no, I mean, I will say number one, I have had such a blessing to, have a mastermind-ish kind of group of people that I'm on a text chain with, that we do regular Zoom calls with, mm. that before COVID, we were meeting on a pretty regular basis. And the like what started as a business kind of relationship has 100% to every person, there's 13 of us, turned into deep, meaningful relationships, mm. friendships that have us each cheering for each other. And if I have a problem, I mean, every single one of them in the midst of my hardest time inside of the, the trauma or the, the grief that was the processing of the divorce. I, it, would just, it was long conversations. It wasn't about, oh, how do we, how do we handle this from a personal development standpoint? Right. This, hey, one friend to another, how can I be here for you today? What's interesting is sitting at those tables as I was walking into this space, especially having been someone that came from corporate and had a completely different background, I had skepticism for all of this work, this entire industry that I now, uh, you know, I'm a part of, and each of them, frankly, as teachers, and told them as much. Like, hey, I'll be honest, guys, I don't know that I'm interested in drinking the Kool-Aid because I, I don't have a trust necessarily that this stuff works. I'm a former fixed mindset person, so the idea of being even someone who is open to growth is challenging for me, but also... There's some snake oil, it feels like, inside of this industry at large. And I don't know, you know any of you well enough yet to know if you are the real deal, if what you represent online or in your books is actually, yeah. you know, has integrity with who you are as people. I've come to find out that, in fact, the people that I'm hanging out with, God bless them, to a person are actually the real deal, actually have the like true intent of what they hope to sell or teach their students or their readers uh, as a part of how they live their, their life. At the same time, the difference that I think I have, and, it, and it's, I don't compare, I have tried to approach really being honest and transparent about the things that I am in process working through mm-hmm. that maybe one day, like maybe one day I'll get to a place where I feel like I can, from a position of authority, teach as the guru instead of the student who is attempting to every day become a little bit better themselves. But I am not... Uh, you know, like I, I have a lot of expertise in certain areas of business and I have, I think, some expertise that I've developed inside of self-help, but I'm selling how I am hoping to bring you along a journey of self-help by suggesting that I myself am on this journey and I'd love to show you through really candor uh, and, and transparency the way that I'm struggling with my own imposter syndrome, the way that I'm working through my own negative coping mechanisms. And I think there's maybe a little bit of a difference 
and some of the teachers that are out there that are telling you, I have figured it all out. Yeah. Here are all of the answers. If you just follow this recipe, things are going to be fine in a way that, to be honest, I think disconnects them as teachers from the practical real life reality that all of us have struggle. All of us have the voice in our head. All of us yeah. have history. And to ignore those things makes it, you know, has made it part of why I think I had a little skepticism coming in. But I don't know. I'm kind of doing my own thing. And I also, there are people that absolutely want someone who is an expert, who's got all their stuff figured out, that has got the academia and the research and the years of, and if that's something that someone's looking for, God bless them. I hope that they go and find that as a teacher the online coaching that I've done, the people who've read my book, I think they connect a lot to, man, thanks for not pretending like life is always easy or that you, as someone who struggled, afford me this opportunity to feel less alone in the struggle that I have as well. I've liked that about how you present and what you talk about. Part of my background is being a counselor, being a clinician. And, you know, I, I, it was very hard for me and I'm newer in this space. I mean, I've kind of been a public figure for, if you want to call it that, for like around two and a half years. Um, although going on Dr. Phil and I've been on like 40 episodes. So it's really like, just did an episode yesterday. Oh my God, the guy I was working with. But um, <laughs> it's refreshing how you deliver what you talk about because you get inspired by stuff. You talk about it. You talk about your story. There isn't a snake oil salesman like approach to what you're doing. I think that's what kept me out of the space for many years is I kind of felt like, oh, I'm preying on vulnerable people to like, I'm going to open you up and now sign up for my package. And I just right. like, I can't believe that's like in, in the, and like my therapist can't accept a gift that's more than $20, right? Like buy their license. Meanwhile, like, it's a totally different world and I'm, and I'm adjusting to it. And I, I appreciate your honesty um, because you don't, you're, you're clearly look what you've been able to build pre divorce after divorce, like both. And what you were able to do as an executive before that, you clearly have a very like brilliant skill set at a bunch of different things. Otherwise you wouldn't be where you're at. So I think oh, you thanks, probably man. have a whole lot to teach. I could learn a whole lot about you. I mean, learn from you. Like you, I already am talking to you and I'm like, yeah, he probably knows how to do this, this and this. And he would be helpful to pick his brain because you've had a lot of success. Like, and I think it's refreshing that you're not saying, I'm going to make your company go from this to this. Um, because I, I don't, I don't who the hell is God in this world? You know, it's like, yeah. you know, how the hell did we Well, know? what's interesting too, I mean, I said this line and, and I, you know, like, I don't know that there's a strategy around it necessarily, but as I was sitting with these people and they're amazing, all of them, uh -huh. multiple New York Times bestsellers, they've built big companies. I said, look, you know, you guys are going after the four or 5% of the population who have opted into and self-selected themselves as someone interested in personal development. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, try and have a conversation with the 95 or 6% of people that don't know what that is or have mm -hmm. a negative feeling around it. Because I believe that the gifts that I've been given are available to everyone, whether they have a pre-existing belief about what self-help is, you deserve to understand that there are ways that you can think differently and approach having a richer, fuller, more meaningful life 
But maybe by having a conversation with someone who doesn't take it as seriously or mm. acknowledges the the struggle of my own journey, that it gives permission for it to not be perfect and meets you a little bit more where you are. Who knows? You know, I like I, the thing is, after having had a whole bunch of success, having had a great career in entertainment, and having had truly a, an extraordinary thing happen in the scaling of the Hollis Company in the last couple of years. I am as uh, I am more happy. I am more connected to this sense of purpose and this calling that was gifted to me by the creator of the universe to take the light that I have and unleash it, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a spirit of impact for other people doing the thing that I'm doing right now, whether that ends up also building another company or also having something happen in terms of, you know, broader impact or something material that's not that's not what drives this at this yeah. point this is i want to self actualize the full utilization of the gifts that i have and feel so connected to it in the work that i'm doing now that every every single other thing ends up being gravy i love it man i love what you're doing can you you mentioned we started the conversation just with a nod to the fact that you have the cast centers can you give us just a little bit of what that is, how it still plays a role in your life. I, obviously, I know you came out of having been an interventionist, but... Yeah, so um, I've, I started Treatment Center 15 years ago in my apartment in Venice. Prior to that, I was doing interventions. So I was flying around the world, helping <laughs> crazy situations where people people bringing in an interventionist because it's the last house on the block. And then I, I got really, at a young age, pretty successful and I started a treatment center and I wanted to create a place right now in the, the field of psychology, they really use diagnoses and in academia, I see this a lot. It's like, there's a, uh, okay, this, there's labeling. There's a lot of labeling and uh, even with alcoholism or addiction or what have you. And so I wanted to create a place that really focused on helping free people to be their best selves from a more like holistic, broad model. So we, we've been around, I've had, everything from sober living homes to now we have a partial hospitalization program, evening programs, day programs. We work with people who are straight, depressed, uh, anxiety. Uh, we work with people who are alcoholics or an addicts and really just people who have kind of uh, don't have the coping skills and the skill set to do a lot of what we're talking about yet because yeah. you just can't get sober. Like they can't get out of bed. Um, and then since COVID hit, What's interesting is what we've found is the people, we have online programs and in-person. And right now in the media, they talk about, oh, online and all these therapy apps. And they act like it's like, you know, a great substitute, even though it's just what we found in our research is people who show up in person versus people who show up online. The people who show up online relapse twice as high a rate while they're with us. Uh, the people who show up just online complete the program half as much is the people who show up in person because community is such a factor in change. And yeah. it's like what you're talking about, even with your group, which sounds like it's like some superstar all-star group <laughs> is that community really helps change. And when people don't have any sense of community, uh, it's pretty tough, but I love drug addicts and alcoholics and people who are just, you know, don't want to get out of bed. I love people. It's amazing. Like that. <laughs> and they and they are blessed for the love they are the recipient of. Goodness gracious. All right. So let's finish by talking a little bit about One Decision, your new book. Why did you write it? Who did you write it for? What yeah. do you hope they get out of it? Well, 
I first was going to call the last book POS, which would mean piece of blank, but I was going to change it to personal operating system. So it was like a mess with words. But then I like, I don't know, I just, you know, and, and I'm sure you've seen this in writing your second book. It's like, where the hell do you go from here? Like my first book, you know, I put so much into it. Dr. Phil wrote the foreword, JLo endorsed it. Like it was just like a thing. And then I felt pretty tapped out on this last one. And then I was like, where do I go? And what I realized was everything comes down to a decision, like any change. And if I'm in the self-help space, it means people want to change. And so if I could help someone realize that they're capable of making one decision, because it all starts with one decision. Anything we do that we want to change in our life starts with one decision. And when we're able to look at it through that lens, it's pretty simple and easy to start whatever it is we're not doing. And so I just was thinking this could be really helpful for someone so that they could, if they just start to make a change in their life, I've I've had an effect. And I write in the style of being someone's life coach. So I write with all the exercises I do. You know, in this book, I had created like, you know, graphics that I liked. And and I just want people to realize that they're capable of making decisions towards whatever it is they want. And, and that, so I just got, went deep dive into decision making for like <laughs> over a year. And uh, I'm, I'm proud of it. It's It's a book for someone who wants to change, like, if if someone's really not focused on like how do i think differently about myself in this world it's not probably the right book for that person it's for the person that's like i want to think differently about how i exist and i want to make decisions towards more of what i want like those those are my people so good i well i mean part of it too because it can feel overwhelming in real time when we allow the anxiety of what if and how long and the infinite number of possibilities in this not choose your own adventures world that we're living inside of to let decision making at large feel overwhelming. But when you talk about one decision, right now you've incrementalized it into something that is super handle, something you can definitely handle and that you can take care of. Uh, I talk about instead of thinking about, you know, getting through the week or getting through the year or how much could possibly happen that you think about getting through the day. And if the day's too much, What's the next best and right thing that you can do to get to lunch? You, you know, mm-hmm. and I think this this kind of idea of like, let's bring it down to one decision. You can handle one decision. Yep. The weight of that single decision isn't too much. And if I can help you make that one, you're likely to make the next right best decision after that. And it just becomes momentum. So you got it. So good. On this Rise Together podcast, we close things out every single time asking guests to share one key takeaway can't be that you got to make one decision. Uh, It could be an idea, a question, an actionable piece of advice, but what is the single thing that you would leave with our listeners today that if they were to do it might afford them some peace, might afford them a little less anxiety, might have them believing in themselves to go and have the day that they'd hoped for. Whoa. I know it's an easy question. It is profound. Hold on. Hold on. Let me, let me, Hold on. I'm going to add some music to this because I think it'll get us in the space of it all. Hold on. <laughs> Please tell me it's the techno that you were listening no, to. No, this one's going to be a mix. This is going to be this other sound that I'm really into lately. Okay. So I'm going to see if this will bring forth the, 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 the power of what we're discussing right now. All right. Okay. This is called the... Okay. Let me see. Can you hear it okay? It's, it's soft. It's, it's, it's a little soft to begin with. It's, you know, it's creeping up. It's... It sounds like the app I use to fall asleep. 
you are capable. You are more capable than you will ever know. And even though you're not sure yet, even though there's doubt, you're magical, God created you, it was no mistake, you were meant to live right now. You were meant to shed away that pain. You are a source of love. Give it to us. All right, that's all. I love it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Bear has given the mandate to give some love. You are a light bear. Bear that light. Uh, Mike, if people do not yet follow you, they want to have some more detail on the things that you do, where to buy your book, where can I send them in the interwebs to become? Your yeah, it's coach, it's coach Mike Bear on everything. So Instagram, Facebook. CoachMikeBear.com. We also have a free empowerment group on Tuesdays with no upsells, which I'd love for you to speak at one of those if you ever want to. I'm in. Uh, Let me know when. Yeah. And uh, it's just, yeah, just follow me and connect with me. And, you know, and I appreciate you having me, Dave, and being open and making a new friend with you. So nice to meet you. Right on. You too. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode, and how could you not have enjoyed this episode? Please, right now, take a picture on the device that you're listening. Tag Coach Mike Bear. Tag me, Mr. Dave Hollis. Share it with literally every single person you have ever met in your entire life. Literally, literally. Between now and then, be the love, be the light. We will see you on the next episode of the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.